what we're going to do here at the Ridge is uh, through the Stork's Nest program that they have there at Choices, uh, we are going to be taking up donations of baby wipes and diapers in sizes three, four, and five, so the larger size diapers. And what happens is, is the mothers will actually be able to go into the Stork's Nest program and be able to get those and be able to have those uh, during this season. So for the entire month of December, starting uh, next week, or really just as soon as you're able, we have a Christmas tree right outside of these doors out here to the right, and that is by the Ridge Central table out there. And so you can bring your donations there, baby wipes and size uh, three, four, five diapers, and you can actually place them out there as we partner with Choices Resource Center. And then uh, you'll get an email this week with more information about that. And so if you're like, well, you don't have my email address, that's what the Connect card is for, okay? So make sure you put your email address there on the Connect card, and we'll make sure that we uh, get that video out to you as well as all the other information. And so don't forget about that as we uh, continue to partner with Choices Resource Center. And so with this series that we've been in, we're really going to wrap this up today. And so for the first several weeks of this series, we talked about how uh, really the universe is broken and fractured. And that fracture... Uh, took place. We can see that in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve, were they be, uh, are they disobedient to God? And in their disobedience, it fractures the perfection that God had created. And through that fracture, we have sin. And so it's, it's, no, uh, it's no surprise to any of us, I think, that if we look at the world as it is right now, that it's messed up. That it's messed up. In fact, it's, it's really not what God intended it to be in the first place. Yet, God in his mercy, I love this, that God in his mercy through the giving of Jesus to pay the debt of our sin has reconciled us to himself and has repaired the vertical relationship that we have with him. And so our relationship with God, we talked about this a little last week, but our relationship with God is both vertical and horizontal. You know, Jesus said, he gave the, what we call the great uh, commandment, right? He said, we must love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, right? He's echoing something that was spoken in the Old Testament. He says, we must love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, but we also must love our neighbors as ourselves, right? And so we love God, that's the, the vertical, right? And then the horizontal is how we exemplify, how we execute that love to others. That's the the horizontal. And so our relationship with God is both vertical and horizontal. And so he has forgiven us, justified us, and adopted us as sons and daughters. And yet we, despite that, imperfectly execute the horizontal. We are, we're not getting it right. None of us are, are going to, to get the horizontal right. And so for all of you uh, control freaks and all, all of you who just, you know, have to be perfectionist in that, like you can look at that and I just need to just breathe for a second, okay? Just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. You're not going to get it right. In fact, none of us are getting the horizontal exactly right. And despite that, despite that, despite the fact that we are imperfectly executing the horizontal God never looks down at us and says, you know what, since you can't get that right, I completely regret saving you. Like he is not looking down upon any of us and, and it's just like, I, I regret saving you. Because you can't get it right. You can't do this well. You, can't, you just can't get it together. You're always messing up. He, he doesn't regret saving any of you. For those of you who are believers, 
But you know what I also love about that? Is that for those of you who may not be believers yet, he's not going to regret saving you. And so in your sin and your speckled past and, and messed up present, as, as gory, as, as, as horrible as you may think it is, when God calls you to save you, he's not at one, ever going to look at you and say that he regrets saving you. Even though we will continually, imperfectly execute the horizontal. And so he is making right the vertical, but we will imperfectly execute that, that horizontal. And so... The last few weeks we have talked about how God begins to iron out our horizontal relationships. And we've, so we've talked about things like community. We've talked about biblical forgiveness. We've talked about guilt, shame, fear, and anxiety and how those play out in the horizontal. So we imperfectly execute what God is doing in our hearts. And yet, even though we don't get it right, God is covering us and still forming us more and more into his image through sanctification. And so today we want to, to wrap this up and talk about what will drive us from here on. What will move us from this place forward. And so I, I think that every message that, that we've uh, talked about throughout this series has been an important message and, and can really stand on its own. But I would say that, that today as we talk about joy today, is that today's message is the one that's going to move us from here to there. Because if we're all honest, here, here's the thing. All of us are seeking happiness, aren't we? Like all of us want to be happy. We got, nobody ever wakes up and goes, you know what, I think I'm going to be miserable. Well, maybe some of you do, but um, I'm just kidding. But like nobody ever wakes up and purposely chooses to be miserable, right? I mean, none of us do that. Just, I just want to be miserable. Like we all want happiness in some form. But, but here's, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with being happy, but making happiness our ultimate is what gets us in trouble because there is a stark difference between happiness and joy. There's a stark difference between the two. C.S. Lewis wrote this about joy. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. He said it's the serious business of heaven. Joy is. And so... Even though we're all after some form of happiness, here's, here's how we can really tell the difference between happiness and joy. You see, happiness is fleeting. Happiness doesn't last. It doesn't last. It literally dies quickly. But yet joy, joy is sustaining. It echoes. It reverbs. It travels. So I ask uh, Billy to come back up and uh, give you just an, a, a quick illustration of, of what this looks like, what it means to sustain. And so, um, oh, we're going different this time. We, we did it a little different first. Yeah, that, okay, all right, all right. Y'all, this is uh, Billy Seals right here. Yeah. Two people like you. All right, so this is, what I, this is what I want Billy to do. Billy, just hit, hit a note there and make it sustain.
Now it's gone. Did you hear that? Did you, did you hear how it just traveled? How it just kept going? Thank you, Billy. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> did you hear how that note, like, if you could just picture it in your mind, almost like maybe even a picture of an equalizer, you could just see that line just beginning to, to continue to just shake and go and vibrate. It sustains. It continues to go. It echoes. And that is joy. That is a picture of joy, how it continues to go, how it continues to travel. But yet happiness is dead. It's flat. There's nothing there. It does not sustain. It ends quickly. And so there is a stark difference between the two. Happiness is caused by things or things that happen around you. Yet joy, it flows, it travels, it goes through the dark, it goes through troubles, it is there in happiness. But joy never runs out. And yet, often we confuse them because we mistake happiness for joy. So what we will find over and over again in Scripture is the Bible outlining what joy really is, where our joy really comes from, and, and, and what, how joy uh, sustains. Not only how we obtain joy, but how we keep joy. And so all throughout Scripture we see this. Is the Scripture telling us over and over and over again that Jesus is better than blank. And you put whatever you want to in the blank. I don't care what it is, put it in the blank. Jesus is better. Maybe, maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you have a hard time getting your mind around that. Maybe you're, you're not a believer and so you, you can't believe that yet. But I'm here to show you and plead with you to get your mind around this, that Jesus is better. Here's a few quick examples. Psalms 4 verse 7 says this. It says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You put more joy in my heart than they have when grain and wine abound. And so what he's saying here, he's saying there's more joy in him, Jesus, than in any material wealth. Than any material wealth, there is more joy in Jesus. And you might be like, yeah, but you don't know how much joy $100 million brings. Listen, I w- trust me, I would love to know how much joy $100 million brings. But it does not bring more joy because here's the difference between that and joy in Jesus is I promise you that $100 million will run out. It will run out. But joy in Christ does not. This is what the psalmist is writing here. He says that, it, that there is more joy there. Another one, Psalm 1611 says this. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of of joy, he's saying, in the presence of Christ, being with him, there is more joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice that he doesn't say that here on earth there are pleasures evermore. He's saying that with Christ at his right hand, that's where our joy comes from. One more. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. He says this. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing 
Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, everything is lost. Like everything that I have gained, all of my material wealth, all of my material things, all the things that I have ever gained, I count it as loss in comparison to just knowing Jesus. He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And I love this, he says, and I count them as rubbish. That word rubbish, we have it there, it's nice, it's tidy, but that is not what he meant when he wrote that. In fact, what he meant when he wrote that was think in terms of dung. He says, I count it all as dung. It's like That's how worthless all of those things were in comparison to knowing him. He says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. So what Paul is saying, he's saying that if what he's doing does not bring him Jesus, it's worthless. And it's worse than that, it's dung. It's worse than worthless. It's worth nothing. And so it's not about what we do. It's not about what we do that brings us joy. It has nothing to do with what we do. Religious, listen, listen, hear me church, religious activity does not bring joy. It makes you tired. All the serving, all the giving all the going all of those things listen those are good things when they come from joy first but when they are done to obtain joy it just makes you tired and so it's not about what we do it's about who we love it's about who we love now i hear this i hear this all the time we have uh we have a group of uh, people that I meet with on a, a regular basis, and uh, we just talk about uh, what it means to to be a disciple maker and to make disciples and, and, and to multiply disciples. And so we we talk about this, and every time we get together, like the first time that we get together, we'll sit down and I ask the same question every time. As I say, hey, tell me your story. Tell me about your journey, about knowing Christ and how how you come to know Christ. And and the story is almost the exact same with every single person. It's I got to know Jesus because I got saved when I was like 8, 9, 10, 11 years old or something like, you know, and I got baptized and then, you know, I just, like nothing happened, nothing changed, like I just kind of went on with life, I went to college, I, I did my thing, you know, kind of got a little crazy and then I moved into adulthood and then all of a sudden I took a step back and I realized something. I realized that I knew about Jesus, but I didn't really know Jesus. I realized that I knew about him, but I didn't really know him realize that i never really had a relationship with jesus so that religious activity does not indicate a relationship with jesus nor does it bring forth heart transformation religious activity will never do that it's only from the inside out found only in relationship with christ that's where we find joy is in relationship 
with Christ. And so what we want to do today, real quick, is just take a look at really uh, twofold from Colossians chapter 3. We want to look at how we obtain joy, how we get it, how we, how we attain joy, but also how we keep joy. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, if you want to follow along, the uh, scripture will also be on the screen back here behind me. And uh, we have free Bibles for you if you need one. We would love to give you one of those. Uh, you can just grab one out at Ridge Central out there as our gift to you. So Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul writes this. We're going to read a few verses and then we'll break it down. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. And so what we want to look at, two things here, how we attain joy, how we, how we get it, how we get joy. Number one is this, serious joy that sustains cannot be found outside of a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. Serious joy that sustains cannot be found outside of a deepening relationship with Christ. So this is, listen, this is about knowing him, not just knowing about him. This is about knowing him, not just knowing about him. The demons in hell know about Jesus. But we don't call them Christians, do we? They know about Jesus. In those times when we find ourselves in dry places and listen you're, you're going to find yourself there you might be there right now places where we feel like we're alone it's then that if we know him not just know about him we'll know that he's with us and then we'll be able to really truly trust in what paul writes in romans chapter 8 where he says for those who love him all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose now listen, I love that verse. That's a huge, that's a, that's a big rock piece of scripture right there that we can, we can just really lean into. And we talked about that a little bit over the last several weeks. We can just really lean into that verse, but we have to be very careful with that because we can take that and we can twist it and we can make it be something that it's not. Because if we're not careful, if we take that out of context, what that will say is that will say that being a Christian because God works together all things for good. Being a Christian means that everything is just going to be rainbows and unicorns for the rest of our life. Life is going to be easy. That when the car breaks, we'll just pray and it will miraculously be fixed, right? That when the money runs out, that we'll just pray and all of a sudden the check will show up. Or if we get a little crazy, we'll see somebody on TV and send our whole life savings to them expecting another check to come back. Newsflash. It doesn't always work out that way. Not saying that it never works out that way. I'm saying that, according to Scripture, there is no promise of that. So we have to be very careful with that. So what does that mean exactly? That all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose? Well, that means because God is sovereign and in control, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And listen... That, that should bring us joy. That should bring us joy. True joy is found in seeking and knowing the Lord intimately. And so it's very much like if you're married or you have children, it's very much like how you know your spouse or your, or, or your children, right? 
And so, it, wouldn't it be a little crazy? Like, wouldn't it be a little odd if, you know, my wife and I, Danero, we have been married for nine years now. And it'd be a little crazy if one day we're talking and, and she happens to mention that her middle name is Grace, and I'm surprised by that. If I'm like, Grace, what? Since when was your middle name Grace, right? Like, that would be weird, right? And number one, it would go very badly for me, all right? And, and just like it would for you. And so, like, or, if, you know, if I looked at my kids and I was like, yeah, here's my son. He is eight years old. And he's like, Dad, I'm six. What? When did you? Six? Like, what happened? Like, if you're surprised by those things, it would be a little odd, wouldn't it? And so, listen, true joy is found in seeking and knowing the Lord intimately. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. But knowing him. I love what J.I. Packer writes. He's a theologian, and he, he writes this. He says, there's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. When you truly know God, you have energy to serve him, boldness to share him, and contentment in him. Knowing about him is a necessary precondition of trusting in him, but the width of our knowledge about him is no gauge of our knowledge of him. I love that. Paul goes on, Colossians 3, verse 5. He says this. This is how, again, how we get joy. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, good reminder, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so number two, to get joy, we must put to death what is earthly in us. We must put to death what is earthly in us. Now notice Paul says to seek the things that are above and not on earthly things he doesn't see say seek earthly things he says seek heavenly things again showing us where our joy comes from my brother recently bought a 65 inch tv it's massive it's absolutely massive and i'm just going to be honest with you i'm a little bit jealous like i want one and and we have a pretty big tv in our house we just got a, a, a tv in our house that's pretty big but it's not 65 inches you know what I'm saying? And so, like, I stand before his TV, and I just stared at it for, like, five minutes. And he's like, what's wrong with you? I'm just like, it's so pretty. <laughs> I don't, you know, you know, just, he's like, walk away from the TV, right? But, like, listen, as, as, and, and you might have, like, an 80-inch TV. Can I come over and watch football? But you might, you might have one of those. And li- listen, bro, you can, stand at, you can stare at that thing all day long, but it's not going to bring you joy. You're like, but you don't know what high def looks like. And I, listen, I, listen, the football game will be over, your team will lose, and joy will be gone, okay? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Those are, those are earthly things. Earthly things. And it's not just those things, and, the, and it's not just those things that Paul talks about. Listen, he or she, as good as they are, I love my wife, she's amazing, but she will never complete me and I will never complete her. 
as good as he is, as good as she is, as great as your marriage is, they will never complete you. They will never make you whole. And listen, if you're a guy, wait, don't do this right now. Do not lean over to your spouse and be like, baby, not you. You're awesome. Like, don't do that right now. Let's wait till later. But like, seriously, you, it, there is a form of happiness and joy there, but it is not the same joy that is found in Christ. It is not the same joy that is found in him. And so these things that Paul mentions, all of these things, this list of things, they are what we call joy robbers. They will rob us of our joy. When these things live within us, they disguise themselves as joy-giving, but actually are ultimately robbing us of joy. And so, uh, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever uh, told a what we would call a white lie? You know, one of those little bitty ones, right? How many of us have ever told a white lie in order to get out of either an argument or, you know, something with our boss, you know, so we don't get in trouble at work or something like that. Come on, let's be honest. We're in church. How many? Let's go. Come on. Uh, we, we've, all, we've all done that once, maybe ten times, right? And so, and if you didn't raise your hand, guess what? All right, so, um, I don't have to say it. But, like, listen, we thought that would bring us joy. Like, you know, if I don't have to have this argument, if I don't have to get in trouble with this way, if I can just sort of, you know, skirt around this this way by telling this white little lie. But what Paul says, he says that those things need to be put to death. Those things need to be put down. Let's, uh, let's do one more. How about, uh, how about this one? Um, it's, uh, we just recently had Black Friday, right? Nothing says Christmas like somebody getting maced at Walmart. Merry Christmas. But, like... How many of you have it? You don't have to raise your hand for this because this will embarrass some of you, but how many of you just had? Maybe it wasn't on Friday. Maybe it wasn't on Thursday night, but at some point in time, like you were around family this weekend, and so maybe it happened then, or maybe it, hap- you know, maybe it happened in the parking lot when you pulled in here. I don't know. But like how many of you just had to go off on that person because it would make you feel better? Like you, just, you just had to let them have it. Like you just had to go off on them because, ugh. He's like, I just got to get this out because it'll make me feel better. But I don't go off on this poor girl. Did it make you feel better? I heard somebody say, yeah. (laughs) Repent. I'm just kidding. Maybe for a moment, okay, maybe for a moment, that's not true joy. That's not true joy. There's not true joy that is found there. And Paul says that we must put these things to death. And so the one weapon that we have to combat these, to turn ourselves over from these to real joy, is the Word of God. It's this. It's the Scripture. And so, and listen, imagine this for a moment. Instead of turning to the things that Paul says put to death, instead of turning to sexual immorality, instead of turning to lies, instead of turning to slander to talk about somebody, instead of turning to malice, instead of turning to these things, instead of turning to these things to bring us some kind of joy or happiness that we'll think that we'll obtain from these, instead of turning to those if we turn to what God says in His Word. Abraham Wright 
he writes this about the word and joy. He says that the joy of Christ and the joy of the world cannot consist or coexist together. A heart delighted with worldly joy cannot feel the consolations of the Spirit. The, one of these destroys the other. But in sanctified trouble, the comforts of God's word are felt and perceived in a most sensible manner. In a most sensible manner. And so Paul says, you know what? To get joy, these things, these earthly things, sexual immorality, slander, malice, a lot, these things, they cannot exist. They must be put to death. They must be put to death. And then finally, number three, this is the, the keeping of the joy part, sustaining joy. Verse 11 says this. It says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Very important verse for our times right now. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then. He says, you want to keep joy? Here's how you keep it. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. If you underline or circle things in your Bible, I encourage you to circle that phrase right there, and be thankful. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus here it is again, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so number three, how we keep joy. We, we need to become an expert in how good God has been to us. We need to become an expert in how good God has been to us. Listen, some of us are experts in some pretty lame things, aren't we? Like, I mean, we can, guys, maybe even some girls, we can spit off stats all day long, can't we? You want to talk about football? We'll spit out some stats, right? And listen, all those things are fine, well, and good. They're not going to matter on the other side of, of here, are they? They're not going to matter. But what will matter is joy. What will matter is if we become an expert in how good God has been to us. And so how many of you would say that at some point on Thursday on Thanksgiving that you pulled back from the table or maybe you sat around with family and meet, either you thought to yourself or, or somebody in your family said, hey, let's, let's just go around the room here and say what we've been thankful for. You know, I thought about that on Thursday. Thursday morning, I, I got up and I'm, I'm sitting and we're just waiting to go and have our time with our, our families. And so as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, knowing what I'm about to preach on Sunday about how we need to become an expert and how good God has been to us. And so I'm thinking about the things that I'm thankful for. And then something occurred to me is that I don't do that enough. Like, I don't, I, I don't express my gratitude to God for how good God has been to me. And so here's a little saying that has been like gold to me. It's really pretty simple. But it's gratitude changes our attitude. Gratitude changes our attitude. You could kind of say it like this, expressed gratitude will change attitudes. 
Think about it for a second. If you express how good God has been to you, it's hard for you to be in a bad mood. It's hard for you to be bitter when you think about how good the Lord has been to you. And maybe you sit there and you think, well, you know what? God's not really been that good to me. Like, you don't know how horrible my life is right now. And I would simply just say this. If anything at all, here's here's how good God has been to you. You're here right now. You're here. That's a pretty good start. So how good has God been to you? How good has he been to you? And have you expressed that, that gratitude toward him? See, some of you got to spend Thanksgiving with your kids, didn't you? It was good. Be thankful for that because there are others who may not have been able to spend Thanksgiving with their children for various reasons, whether they're good reasons or wayward children. But if you got to spend Thanksgiving with your family, be thankful for that because others may not have been able to. Some of you are loving where you are relationally right now. The marriage is good. The relationship was good. You know, relationship with friends are good. You've got the best friends that you've ever had in your entire life. Nobody is talking about you behind your back at work. Like, things are good, right? Be thankful for that. Be thankful for that. Others of you... You're not, listen, you're not facing uncertainty in your career right now. You're not facing uncertainty with finances right now. You're not facing uncertainty in relationships right now. Be thankful for that. And maybe you are facing those things. Maybe none of those things are working out for you again. But again, I tell you to come back to two things, really simple. Number one, whether you're a believer or not, you're here right now. And that's something to be thankful for. But secondly, if you are a believer, maybe you think, well, I don't really have a whole lot else to be thankful for. Be thankful for this. What has God saved you from? What has he saved you from? What did he rescue you from? What did he pull you out of? If you're a believer, what did he save you from? I think about that for myself and I think about how my sins of my ancestors were crucified with me when he saved me. And I don't have to pay for those. So at the very least, I can be thankful for that. So what did he save you from? What did he rescue you from? How good has God been to you? We need to be thankful for those things and become an expert in it and know it. So to get our joy, we set our minds on him. And we put to death the earthly things. We will do those things and we seek to find joy in him. We will find it there. And to keep our joy, we simply marvel at his goodness. How good has he been to you? We marvel at those things. We sit in amazement of those things. And we express our gratitude toward those things. One of my favorite authors and pastors, John Piper, wrote this. And I'll close. He said, The essence of faith is being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus. I'll read that to you again. The essence of faith is being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus. And so as we close and, and sing one last song, simply just want to encourage you in two ways. 
Number one, if you think to yourself that there is no joy there, or you're having a hard time finding that joy, then I ask you simply what we've already talked about. What needs to be put to death within you? Are you seeking to find the joy in earthly things? Let those things die today. Let them die now. And that is simply done through confession and repentance. When we turn from our sin, we turn from those earthly things, we turn from them, and we turn to Jesus. That's what it means to repent. And that we confess our need for him. And listen, repentance is for everybody. If you're a believer, repentance is a daily thing. If you're an unbeliever, the first step is confession and repentance. So we confess and we repent. We put to death those earthly things. But maybe you sit there and you think to yourself, you know what, life is good. I have joy. Like I'm, I'm tapped into that joy. I can get my head around that joy. Then you should just take the next few minutes and just express that gratitude toward him. Be thankful and express it. How good God has been to you. How good he has been for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for how it speaks to us. God, how it draws up within us repentance and confession. God, our need for you. God, reminders of how good you have been for us. So, Father, for those of us who need to do battle this morning, God, that we put to death the earthly things that are within us, God, that we seek to find true joy in you, Father. God, let us, through the power of your Spirit, God, have the courage to confess and repent. To not let these earthly things live outside of us walking out of this room. That they die now. Because of your death on the cross, God, you give us the ability to confess and repent. And you are faithful and just forgive us of our sins. God, we believe that, we confess that, we hold true to that. God, for those of us who have found our joy in you, God, maybe we've lost that joy or maybe we've lost sight of that joy. And so God, just draw up within us what we should be thankful for. God, remind us of how good you have been to us, how good you are for us. God, what you have saved us from, what you are saving us to. God, let us rest our hearts on those things. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. You stand to your feet as we sing this song. I just want to let you know that there are people uh, around that would love to be able to pray with you if you feel like you want to come toward the front. You don't have to. That's just something that you can do if you want to. But we would love to be able to do that. But wherever you are right now, just wherever you sit, please just take this time to confess and repent or be thankful and express gratitude.